Hello and welcome back to Keep Calm and Carry On. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Boxing Day and Happy New Year, I think. I hope you guys had a lovely day. I'm sure it was very different. Ours was quite quiet, although I had my two little ones running around as the Flash and Black Panther most of the day but it was nice and we watched about seven movies <laughs> but it was nice and relaxed and we spent a lot of time on Zoom and FaceTime and all those things I hope you guys did too and uh, and had a lovely day so I hope you enjoyed Don Black wow what a story what stories in fact and how many songs he's written for super famous people <laughs> it was great of him to spend some time with us and share his story so up this week a little curveball for you. I mean, as Dancing on Ice is about to grace our screens, I thought I would bring you a superstar from the show. He's a big musical fan and we met back on Wicked, I think, several years ago. I think he came to see the show and I just thought, what a wonderful human being. And then obviously watched him on our screens. And I've watched his career and his move over to the UK and just watched him flourish as an artist, he's a beautiful skater, and watch out for him now because he's going to be back on our screens. Dancing with the gorgeous Denise Van Elton, it's Matt Evers. Matt, I am so excited to have you on my new podcast. Well, it's not my new podcast, it's season two, which is I'm super, super excited about. But um, Absolutely. And it's the hottest day of the year. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, I, I have to, I'm, I to apologise up front. Be, if you hear like the dishes banging around from the neighbours or a plane going overhead because the windows are open and I'm, I'm schwitzing already. <laughs> you look super tanned though, and I assume this is like natural tan and not dancing on ice tan. Is, there, is this a good? Is this normal? <laughs> oh, the um, yeah, no, dancing on ice tan is long gone. That that <laughs> stuff washes washes off a couple of weeks after we get sprayed. But um, no, this is natural tan. I think through lockdown, I really took advantage of you know our one hour a day allotted time out of the house. Mm. Um, plus, I'm part American Indian, which a lot of people don't know. So I tan really, really easy. <laughs> so wanna... literally two minutes out in the sun, and I already have a tan line. So I do have to be careful. With it, but that's yeah, lucky. Um, that's good. Yeah. I go out and I go like a beetroot. <laughs> Yeah, the proper English skin. Oh, I am. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, true beetroot red. But um, (laughs) how have you been? I mean, how how's lockdown been for you? Were you busy? Were you? Did you have shows on? I mean, so well, if we if we rewind to kind of the beginning of March when it's we started to see cases here in the UK, we were still in production. Um, Our finale of Dancing on Ice was on uh, March eighth. And we had, at that point, there were sanitation stations kind of littered all over the studios. Um, We didn't, obviously, nobody knew the extent of what was going to happen, you know, over the forthcoming couple of weeks Mm. from that point. But um, I think I had it. I think our, our, the entire cast and crew had a really weird sort of flu-like symptoms. I lost my sense of taste and smell. I was really tired. I didn't really have any breathing problems, but... You know, I think fast forwarding again in a couple of weeks, I had put up on Twitter um, once it really started to become what we know know now as the pandemic, uh, something in regards to is anybody else having weird symptoms of, you know, loss of taste and smell? And 
I mean, I got thousands of messages from people saying, yes, I can't smell anymore, this, that, mm -hmm. and the other. And then the Daily Mail or some paper, paper had picked up on it. And then it became a thing that this was actually a new symptom that they had found through, um, through the virus. So thankfully, we were able to finish the series. Um, and I then went on to do some sport relief stuff up in Manchester. But then it was like the lockdown really started to hit. Mm -hmm. We were quarantined to our hotel rooms. Um, it was, it was pa panic sort of ensued because everybody <laughs> was really wary about, you know, being around each other. Mm. Um, and it was just a really interesting time. And I think for me, I was supposed to fly back to LA, fly home on March 18th. And yeah. we went into lockdown on March 17th. So <gasps> you're stuck with me now. So you're still, you're still, oh, wow. Um, and What's going on with your family at the moment? Are they what's how are they? Are they still in lockdown? Are they allowed where what, what part are they in? So my I live in Los Angeles. My parents live in Phoenix, Arizona, which is uh, you know, like a seven hour drive across the desert. But <laughs> casual since, seven. Yeah, just an just easy casual. seven. <laughs> Us Americans love to drive. You, you love know? a drive, you love a long <laughs> drive. We could I be do. in Scotland in nearly seven hours. <laughs> oh, completely. Completely. But um, yeah, my, my parents are older. Uh, my mom has health problems. My dad had some really weird bronchial infection in January, which we then found out after I grilled him numerous times that some of his clients, because he still works, and some of his clients were coming in from China. Oh. Um, so, and he was on like an at-home respirator and everything, but this was wow. back in January before, you know, before we knew anything. Yeah. Um, so they're still sheltering at the minute. It's a really wow. scary place right now in America. Um, you know, with the virus in some States, some local governments, nothing national has happened. Um, you know, they're not doing a national lockdown. They're not having these, um, masks are required and different things like that. So it mm -hmm. actually is a really scary place, which is why I've made the decision to not go home. To stay. Um, yeah. It's, I feel a lot safer here. Um, I'm more in control of my bubble, mm -hmm. um, you know, here in, in, in London, but it's, um, it's hard. It's really hard. This is the longest I've ever been away from home. Yeah. Um, thank the Lord above that we've got FaceTime and, you know, WhatsApp with our, my family's group and, and this, that, and the other, so we can really all stay in touch. Stay but connected. it's, it's hard. It's really hard. And I feel for people who are sheltering where they can't leave their home oh. if they're at high risk because it's mentally, I don't know how people are doing it because I've struggled myself. Yeah, I think we all have, especially in, you know, with the industry that we're all in. It's 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 been quite debilitating to not be with people and to be... Mm you know, connecting, be creative. I mean, how no. was, was your, did you have um, stuff booked in that was, that was postponed or did you have, did it go quite, quite, quite quick? It went, it was literally <laughs> like somebody shut the lights out. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, okay, I'm so excited for nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was really, it was interesting because off the back of Dancing and Ice this year and Ian and I skating together, um, you know, the first time an LGBT couple um, had ever danced, performed, skated, whatever you want to call it. It's the first time in history that that's ever happened. And so there was a lot of things that were in the works, a lot of things that were planning, um, you know, that were supposed to come into fruition at this point. Uh, and that's all been either canceled or postponed. Um, kind of the, the steam, as we call sometimes, like in, in show business, you want to ride that wave mm. after that show. 
that yeah the it, it's a flat lake right now there is, <laughs> there, is, there, there is no wave um and understandably you know it's every single industry on the planet and it's really if you can really wrap your head around that that everybody on the planet is going through something mm. right now it is a little bit comforting because you don't feel completely alone yeah um but i completely agree understand that that human contact is so essential to us being, you know, human beings and to not have that. And I've since seen a couple of my friends since quarantine has lifted and it just, I'm wary to give them a hug. It's, <laughs> the weird, same token it? too. it's, it's so weird because we're all so huggy and tactile as well. It's so strange to be like, hi, I don't know what to do. This is weird. Like, <laughs> I just elbows. I mean, if people yeah. seem to be doing this weird yeah. elbow thing, which I'm not really, yeah. I don't really understand, but if I if I don't know your surname or your middle name, I will. I'll give, I'll give you the elbow. <laughs> I like you have a little. That's good. Yeah, yeah you have to, right? Got to set a standard so somewhere. But um, it's been it's been really interesting, really yeah. interesting personal growth. If you think like for me, I, I've spent a lot of time on myself. Um, I've spent a lot of time writing, um, kind of redefining what my passions are because my passion which is performing, you know, typically as you see on Dancing and Ice, but even with my presenting stuff, um, that may never happen again, or at least if it does happen again, it's going to be different, Mm. you know? So it's been, it's been a very interesting past, God, it's been five, four or five months. Mad, isn't it? How have you been keeping active and uh, have you been keeping fit and exercising? I mean, it's good for the brain anyway, and the mind. Absolutely. I always say, um, because I do work within the fitness industry a little bit, and it's those happy hormones, um, those endorphins. And when you do any sort of physical activity, your body releases a happy chemical that makes Mm. you feel better. Um, So like I said earlier, going on my one hour walk every single day, um, walking down by the river, I just knew I needed to get out of my concrete jungle. Mm. Um, And I found a lot of peace just being by the river. Um, And... But also, a friend of mine owns a gym across the street, um, a very small studio, a personal training studio. And when we went into lockdown, he gave us a set of, myself and my housemate gave us a set of keys and said, just go and use, like, it's closed. So go and use it at your leisure. And the honest to God, that was my savior because it was, I felt like I was doing something. Yeah, it gave you you focus. Yeah. So that's kind of... That's kind of like what I've been doing since uh, since March. But typically, post Dancing on Ice, I always take um, April and May off anyway to mm-hmm. let my body relax and yeah, yeah. kind of you know refocus and just sort of chill out because it's so intense. Oh. Um, but it's yeah, it's been I'm probably in better shape maybe than I ever have been. Wow, yeah. it's a different discipline, I guess, to, to skating and it's a to, to being in a gym is it's different. Your body is is reacting yeah. differently, so. Absolutely. Amazing. I think we're, we're very much an anaerobic sport because, you know, as you see on the TV mm. show, we only do a minute and a half to a two minute routine. Um, yeah, you're, you're training a lot. You're doing sometimes eight hours a day training with your celeb. But um, for me to get in the gym and really work out for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour is, mm. is something my body has always known, but it's never been exclusive to that because I'm not yeah. able to do anything else. Yeah. So it's really interesting to see sort of a physical transformation, let alone the mental transformation. Wow, that's great. I mean, I, I will talk to you about dancing on, on ice. I can't even say it. Dancing on ice, obviously, <laughs> in a bit. But I want to take, I want to go back to like what... 
like your early days and where where skating came from where how did I mean it's 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 like you know being in a in show business it's not the standard um career that people go into and and when you do something slightly uh different it's it it comes from somewhere so I just wondered how you got into it how it started for you so um, it's kind of a, it's a cool little story. Uh, and if I ever write a book, it obviously will be my first <laughs> chapter. Um, Shit. it's a good time. Um, yeah. But so my grandfather owned a horse farm, uh, mm-hmm. and in the winter times, and this was in Minnesota. So it's, you know, a couple of hours South of Canada and it's very cold in the winter. And during the winter, he would, um, we, my cousin and I would sneak over to the neighboring farm because they had a pond and it freezes over and it's frozen over for, you know, from November until possibly March, even April. Uh, and six-year-old, seven-year-old, myself and my cousin probably wasn't the safest thing to do because we'd have to sneak. And the neighbors, the neighboring farm didn't really appreciate the fact that, you know, us kids were out skating on this on this little pond which you know you can fall through it's kind of it can be dangerous depending upon how thick the ice is your poor parents <laughs> <laughs> my, they, they didn't know I mean my I bet they didn't know <laughs> you wouldn't be doing but, um, it if they knew yeah well this is this is the same grandfather whom at the age of five years old I had a horse um when my he I mean we he had 35 horse on horses on on the actual farm but my cousin and I always had our own and I can remember like the summertime spending every single minute of daylight out on the back of that horse, sometimes with saddles, sometimes without saddles, you know, but we're five and six years old. My cousin and I taking the horse and just, I mean, he owned 70 acres. So we would just go and we'd come home for lunch and then we'd go back out and then we'd come back in when the sun, when the sun went down. And it's like, we actually, I probably shouldn't even be alive. No stuff. The the accidents that we used to get into, obviously the horse spooks, you get thrown off and do whatever, but (gasps) it's like, it's just, it's absolutely insane when you put it in context of. Did you ever get hurt? Did you ever get, you know, really? All the time. All the, all the time. Cause we just, we would be stupid. We didn't know complete horse etiquette, you know, and, like I remember there was this one time we we had there was an old mare on the farm she was god at that point she was like thir- 27 almost 30 years old and she mm. was perfect for us because she just was too lazy and and really didn't have any sort of spunk in her anymore yeah. and her name was Cookie and she was an Appaloosa and so <laughs> we would take her out and um it'd be about September time all of my he had a a small little orchard about five or six apple trees towards the back of one of the pastures and uh we'd go pick apples but you know we wouldn't get a traditional ladder and things like that we'd pull the horse right up to the side of the tree and then we'd both stand up on the back of the horse and then pull the apples down oh my god (laughs) and at one point I remember I pulled an apple that was still not quite ripe so it was a bit stuck to the tree and the branch itself sort of ricocheted and ended up slapping the back of the horse. Oh no! Like the branch did, and she took off. And oh. I just remember us, Shannon, <laughs> my cousin, and I, like hanging in the air for a couple of seconds, both landing on our backs, completely knocked the wind out of both of us. And you know, we just continued to we just carried on. Oh, so it was gosh. it was just yeah. Again, I'm I'm surprised I'm hadn't been severely injured and or you know killed at that point. But wow. But back to the ice skating. Yeah. <laughs> so 
the Christmas of um, my, I was eight years old and that Christmas, um, we would spend every Christmas on the farm. And I woke up to a brand new pair of ice skates and my cousin had a pair as well. And we were like, oh my God, this is amazing because now we don't have to borrow aunts and uncles, which were five, six sizes too big. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, that's not it. And he opened up the window and outside the, the back of the farmhouse was a small little yard area. And um, he had made us our own ice rink. Wow. He had, he had flooded it and made like put the snow up so it looked like some banks. And, and <gasps> so we had our own little private ice rink, which we then, that's how I started. And wow. one thing led to another. I started taking lessons at a local rink. Um, I excelled really quickly at it. And, you know, so I'm nine years old by the time at the, or at this point. Um, and by the time I was 13, I had already sort of made a national team. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it, and then one thing led to another and my parents spent so much money on the sport. They could have put me through law school two or three times. <laughs> I'm still at 40 something. I'm still repaying them. <laughs> so it's, it sounds like a Disney movie. Your story sounds right? just, Oh my God. It's the original frozen. It is the original frozen. <laughs> frozen um, on ice. Surely that's the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I'm, I'm very grateful for all of those experiences and, you know, for, for having that moment in time and being able to appreciate what that is because stuff like that just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and one thing led to another and, um, I ended up quitting the sport at 21 years old after being, I think we were ranked fifth in the world. Um, wow. but my skating partner at that point, uh, had an eating disorder and we were slated for the 2002 Olympics at Salt Lake city through our federation. Um, but she, she was horribly sick. And I sat our team of coaches down in the Skating Federation and said, I, I need to end this partnership because regardless if we win an Olympic gold medal, this could kill her. And yeah. she is, she's never going to be happy. Um, silver lining to that story is, yes, I lost my competitive skating career, but she is now a doctor of medicine and she specializes wow. in nutrition. So she now helps athletes wow. with eating disorders. That's so, amazing. Because yeah. it's... it's 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 such an important thing. I mean, I I remember experiencing various people struggling through college and with various eating disorders, and it's so tragic to watch it happen. And it, it's something so, you know, when you're performing and you're on show all the time, to watch somebody struggle through that, it, and when you're outside of it, you can see how unrational yeah. it is. It's just, but. Yeah. It's so tragic to watch it happen. It's so, just you look into their eyes and they just are they're lost. Yes. You know, it's it's not that the it's not that the lights are on in nobody's home. You no. can feel for me, I could feel her pain through her eyes. And yeah. and that uh, that will never leave me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well that's that's good that she's gone on to do something so brilliant. How fantastic. That's yeah. so then how did how did you then find your way to to I show? So was that the kind of the, the logical step? Did you stop it for a while or did you I did, go yeah. Straight? I I was really sort of I just felt burnt out, you know, yeah. at the age of 21, I had already at that point had a career. Yeah. Um, you know, my career started at nine years old and um, people think, oh, well, you just go into the rink a couple hours out of the week and train. No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I would get up at four o'clock and this is on my own accord. Like I would get up at four o'clock in the morning. I'd be on the ice by 430. I would skate until eight o'clock in the morning and then I would go do school normal, normal public school. Mm -hmm. So it would be from, you know, nine until three 30 ish or so. And then yeah. I would go back to the rink in the afternoons for at least an hour to two hours, go home, try and do homework, you know, 
eat as much as I could and then pass out. I was not, I was not the best student. And I think it was due to the fact of just lack of energy and lack of focus yeah. on curricular studies, because by the time I got home every single day, I was exhausted. Yeah, I think you, you know? know as well. I think when you're younger and you have, you know, you have a passion for something, you know what path you want to take. And yeah. yes, you have to do do all your schooling. And yes, it's super important, but it's almost like there's not enough time. That it almost mm. You almost need to go to a specialist school where they can do both and, and cater to both because I, I was exactly the same. You know, if I would have given up school, um, to go and and to perform and dance and sing, because um, I just knew my path. I knew what, but yeah. I knew also knew that I had to do those fundamental, basic. Absolutely, things, you know? and I think we all, especially what we're experiencing now, we all know now why our parents and you know the older generations have always said you need a backup plan because you never know what could happen. You know, if it's a global pandemic or if it's you know, <laughs> for you, you know, for you, God touch wood or god forbid like you're you you can't sing anymore or mm. for me i i can't skate anymore um and so i was very aware it was it was a struggle but i was very aware that i needed that education and i needed mm. that backup plan um but graduating graduating high school and then moving to the university of delaware uh due to the fact that they had a skating program within that university so they were able to come up with a collegiate way to yeah. marry education as well as the sport yeah, that's um, so that was that was easy, easier, I should say, because um, my all of my skating went towards university credit. Uh, but yeah, come when I when I quit competing, it was um, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do at that point. I, I felt burnt out um, and I jumped back into television and sort of like modeling stuff, which I had done as a kid, because mm. that was that was what I knew, what you, you knew. know, out, outside of pursuing more higher education, which then would have meant another three to four years of school. And again, I was exhausted. I was tired. It must have been so scary though, because I, I, you know, you see it with athletes now, uh, they, their careers stop so, so soon because their body, you know, they, they can't do it anymore, but mm. mentally to deal with something that you've had a passion for your whole life and then it stops. Yes. You're yeah. going to find another way, but I mean, that's tough. How did you deal it, with that? I think I was young and dumb. <laughs> I think I just didn't, you know, I think I didn't know any different. I just always, my parents had always, you know, they're working class and they, they, they worked very hard to give myself and my sister everything that we had. And it mm. was nothing ever glamorous or, you know, we didn't live in the nicest neighborhood. And there was always that work ethic that was always ingrained. And I, it was funny because no, realizing that I was going to leave the sport, I didn't have this drive of like, I have to work. I just knew yeah. I needed to do something. Mm. And what I wanted to do, I felt, I felt very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I felt very sort of motivated by television. I loved the aspect of it. And I had had the glimpses of it through competitive ice skating. Cause at that point, uh, figure skating was rated second to American football. So every competition we ever had was always broadcast, sometimes mm -hmm. live. Wow. So I got to know a lot of the backstage crew um, through me skating. And when I quit, and at that point, I was like, well, I'm going to go to New York because I got a job offer with ABC Sports, which now uh, is like ESPN. They don't mm -hmm. really exist anymore. But um, and I was running coffee. I was a coffee runner for one of the exact producers. And I just loved the daily grind of it. Like it was yeah. literally 
just go, 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 go. Live television t- for me is is part of my passion because you don't ever have to fix it. Once it's done, it's done. And you yeah. can go home and not think about it anymore. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of how I reinvented my myself within my skating career um, of leaving the sport, but I still was involved in the sport on the television side of it, you know, mm. which now has led to me directing ice skating shows uh, for stuff back in there for t- um, networks in the States. So it's been, it's been a really interesting transition um, since, yeah, since the age of, of 21, kind of finding my foot in what I want to do and where I want to go and, you know, what I kind of like how the sport has imprinted on me. Yeah. So we'll be right back with Matt in just a moment. But if you are enjoying this season so far, and it's been quite a full season, please hit subscribe and leave us a review because we love to hear all your messages and thoughts about the show. We have a corker of a season three lined up for you. I cannot tell you. The guests are flooding in. I'm so excited to get recording. Okay, also, if you want to head over to my website, I have a few uh, Keep Calm and Carry On pins left if you want to order one. And, of course, my most recent Feels Like Home album is still on there. I have a couple left if you want to get in quick. Okay, let's get back to Matt. So how then did Dancing on Ice come about? How did the call come and obviously bring you over yeah. here? How did, how did all that happen? Well, from New York... Um, and, you know, trying to live in New York, you've lived in the city, like it's, it's hard. <laughs> I like that you said try, because I was yeah. exactly the same. It's, you just try to live there. It's so strange. Yeah. It's so it's, hard. It's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to explain to people that have never been to New York City, <laughs> let alone try to live there. I like that. You, you have to I'm be making, keep that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to be making like six figures in order mm. to live comfortably in New York. Um, and I was there on a production assistant salary, you know, uh, I was subletting a, a sublet from a friend and it was <laughs> the, the apartment that I lived in was a square box that had a cut you opened up a cupboard and the the stove kind of fell down or you know was that was a a little gas stove to get to the bathroom you had to go go through a little wardrobe closet (laughs) and it was one of those cruise ship bathrooms where you can oh god you can go number two and shower at the same time you know pretty pretty much um (laughs) thankfully i had a, a basin like an actual sink but um yeah it was it was very interesting but leaving new york or sorry um uh, while still in New York, I um, had met a girl um, whom became uh, my wife. I got married when I was, you know, 20, 22 years old. Um, and she was a roller skater. So we ended up, I taught her how to ice skate and we landed Radio City Music Hall Christmas show wow. um, in, I think, 1999 or 2000. And at that point, that was incredible money. I mean, we're talking four or five grand a week. Mm. You know, it was an eight week contract. And at that point, I'm like, I've made it. I can Life's afford good. to live in New York. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I've like, arrived. Yeah, I've arrived. <laughs> and then the show ended and then the bank account disappears and the girlfriend <laughs> breaks up with you. Well, Aww. we we ended up getting married on a reality TV show and then that ended horribly. But that's what pushed me to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I then landed a small role on a soap opera, which was reoccurring um, for three or four years. Um, our union, the Screen Actors Guild, back in 2005 went on strike. So all production in Los Angeles had stopped and everything pretty much moved to Canada, Canada because of the way the union was set up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I went back to bartending, which is what I had done wow. when I was at university. Um, Cause I was like, well, at this point I had an apartment, I was living on my own. I just, I, again, it's one of these moments where you're just like, okay, here's a speed bump. How am I going to get over this? Yeah. Speed bump? What am yeah. I going to do? Um, so I was working in a bar and next thing I know, my phone rings, my little, probably Nokia flip phone or <laughs> my razor or whatever those were. <laughs> like, but, you know, or my, well. It may have even been my pager or oh, something. You know? But um, it was uh, an English person whom I am still very good friends with today. She had said, we've gotten your name from Torvalyn Dean that you work in television. You're an ice skater. We have this idea of teaching celebrities how to ice skate. Would you like to come to England and kind of, you know, try this out? Wow. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I don't have to worry about the union because it's across, like I wasn't crossing the picket line because it's England. Yeah. Um, it's skating. It's television. It was for eight weeks. I've never been to London before or England. Um, why not? Like, let's yeah, do it. I mean, and the money, the money was all right, you know? Wow. And for me, if it was anything better than working in the bar, then it was, it was great money. And um, so, yeah, that was November of 2005 that I landed here, um, completely gobsmacked by this country, completely fell in love with it within probably five minutes of, of being here. It felt everything to me as a, a stupid American, it felt like <laughs> Disneyland. Everything was like, wait, is that castle actually real or is that, or, you know, like a ride at roller coaster goes through it or whatever. So it, um, yeah, it was really interesting. And our producer sat us down um, that first, before the first uh, episode, which was, you know, January 8th of 2006. Um, and they said, we're not quite sure if this is going to work. If it doesn't, you know, we'll still pay you your contracts out. We might cut the show short. Um, and then the view viewing figures came back from that first episode. And it was like 52% viewership. Yeah. Seven or I think it was fourteen or fifteen million viewers. I mean, it was wow. just an overnight smash hit. Yeah. So I don't know still to this day how they got my phone number um, because I had been out of the sport at that point for three or four years. Mm. Jane and I've I've since spoken to Jane and Chris about it. They never gave my phone number to ITV. Wow. So it was a bit serendipitous. It was a bit interesting, like surreal and yeah. kind of mystical how how it all came to be. Those phone calls do come though. And that's what kind of what's what's brilliant about this industry is you just you really never know. I always say to students if I'm going into colleges, I say, you know, your life can change in a phone call. It, it really can. 100%. And it does. It so does. And it's it it is the epitome of, especially for kids coming out of school, anybody that you meet through the industry, and maybe even a friend of a somebody within the industry. Those people can change your life in an instant. Yeah, they can. Um, and, you know, I know you're a firm believer of just always trying to stay positive and always be kind. And yeah. you just never know. You might say one small bad thing to one person and that could change your destiny forever. Absolutely. Absolutely. And people want to work with nice people, don't they, at the end of oh, the day? 100%. want to be around nice people. Which leads me on nicely to your partners. Like, throughout the series, you've had some incredible people. Bonnie Langford, who I adore. Mm. Uh, Suzanne Shaw, of course. You know, Denise, yeah. Lisa Scott-Lee. Denise. I think I actually saw you Den with Denise. I came to the studio 
once yeah. to watch. I think that was Denise's year. Yeah, because we um, were down in Shepparton at that point. That's it. That's it. And it was so much. It was so fun. It was so interesting to watch it happen. Obviously, I'd watched it on the telly, and it had been. I was a fan of the show, and then to come and actually be there, I took my mum and sat in the studio. It was super exciting. Mm. I mean, how is how does how does the part, I mean, the partner obviously must influence how your season is going to go dramatically yeah. because on their ability, on their personality, on their, um, how, how they're all household names, but how, you know, how much they're loved by the public. I mean, and how yeah. does, how does that work with you? I mean, how do you feel that that influences what you do with them uh, you know, I mean do you you choreograph what you do as well don't you that's correct yeah I think at the end first and foremost dancing and ice for me is a job and regardless of the the my celebs uh profile or history or work ethic I approach each person the same I, I have a goal because the second they step on the ice, I can tell pretty much how far they're going to get, not within wow. the actual TV show, but ability level. Yeah. Um, and I, my, <clears throat> my goal is to get them to that point. Um, sometimes they've far surpassed that. And other times because of work ethic or lack of work ethic, um, they, they don't even hit half that, <laughs> half that stage. <laughs> I like the rolly eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you see that? <laughs> yeah. um, but it's, I approach each individual absolutely the same. But the biggest thing that I have learned through this silly little ice skating show where we get all dolled up and put on a frock and, you know, twirl around the ice is even though we all speak English, we all speak a very different language. And it's kind of a little bit of a secret to my success, if I'm going to give you any sort of exclusive, um, is that... <laughs> I had I learned very quickly how to speak to people. I learned very quickly how to listen first and foremost, um, and then try and find my English to fit into your English's head mm -hmm. and understanding. Uh, because I can tell you to do something on the ice fifteen different ways, but it might be the sixteenth way that you, for you personally, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So it's been it's been tried and trusted, um, and I think it's something that uh, I I really um, yeah I, I really take ownership of that, and I I try to tell the other pros on the show is you just have you've got to listen you've got to mm. your way of teaching may not work for that person we're arranged marriages at the end yeah, of the day yeah yeah that's um, exactly how it is and I think you know, you probably had many vocal coaches who you thought were going to work great for you, but they end up not. And it's nothing against them or their coaching. It's just you gel with some people and, and other times you don't. And you kind of have to be within what I do for a living. You have to be a chameleon. Yes. And you have to really um, be open to changing, not who you are, but changing your your teaching techniques. Yeah, that's so interesting. Because I guess it's it's the same, you know, when we're, we're directed, you know, you some people you just get mm. what they're saying and others it just takes yeah. a while Absolutely. wow it's a lot of pressure to be on you though to to have to you know make this person the best that they can be is it all on you or do you get a bit of help we do now more than ever um through um unfortunately this past year we lost caroline flack uh, part oh, yeah. of the itv family um as well as previous years some other contestants from love island uh and now more than ever we have a lot of support um, we've always had a little bit of support, but I think through 
what's the tragedies of what has happened. They have um, in, implemented a lot more uh, mental support because yeah. I think at the end of the day, physically, yeah, our show can be tough because we do long hours. Yeah. What we're actually teaching is quite remedial for us um, as athletes, um, but it's the mental aspect. It's, yeah. it's the, the notion of, okay, I'm the professional skating partner. I'm now your coach. I'm also probably going to become your best friend. Yeah. I'm going to be your babysitter. I'm going to be your psychologist. I'm also going to be X, Y, Z. Yes. And like with Denise Welsh, I was also the drink police <laughs> because she loved to go out. God yeah. bless her soul. She is sober now. And like dancing and ice has changed her, changed her life. Um, but there are those little things within my job responsibility that a lot of people don't realize that we become all encompassed, not only sometimes with the celeb, but also with their families as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, before I came out publicly as, as gay, some husbands and boyfriends didn't like the idea that I was spending so much time with this, you know, particular person. And so then I had to become the psychologist to the husband. Yeah, yeah. We could, to, you know, entrust in them that, okay, I'm, I'm not here to steal your wife or yeah. to steal your girlfriend, you know. So it's, there is a lot of pressure. It is a difficult thing, though. I mean, we have it with, with theatre as well. You know, you're thrown together. You have to become an unconventional family straight away. Mm. You have to care about each other, work very closely together for a period of time exactly all that you become everyone's best everything and then you're yeah. ripped apart and you probably don't see them for another five years six years it's the most bizarre thing and somebody outside of that circle is it's hard for them to understand it it really yeah. is because it, it if you on paper it doesn't make sense but it doesn't know. by any means and I think it's that whole like you said you're also ripped apart mm. there is post-show depression i'm a big yeah. advocate for because mentally it's really difficult yeah oh i was going to ask you about that because i, I it's kind of what's it what inspired me to do the podcast initially brian um my lovely friend Brian May mm. and we and uh, we talk a lot about that kind of show come down and once you've come off a massive event whatever it is it could be playing Wembley it could be doing a big tv show a big tour or whatever it is but then you're in this bubble of this electric uh hypnotic environment yeah. show and then suddenly you're home making the tea you know doing the washing it reality being, kicks in being a being human normal, being yeah. normal and and it's ha you know to help people deal with it. I've spoken to a lot of people that um, have been on Strictly uh, in in more recent years, where it's been so huge, and how they're doing something out of their comfort zone and being thrust in the public eye, and then suddenly ripped out of it, yeah. and how they've dealt with it. You know, it, it it's 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 a tough one. I mean, it, is there anything? I mean, I'm sure you deal with it all the time. Yeah, well, I deal with it every single year and sometimes multiple times a year. Um, you know, we have the post show come down from uh, the main television series, Dancing on Ice, which is why I also thought we always get, I always get sick. As soon as the show comes mm. down, I, I either mm. get a really bad cold or the flu or whatever. And yeah. leading up to this past year and come March when I got really sick, I just was like, oh, I, is it COVID? Is it not? No, it's probably just post-show, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, but regardless, we also then have previously gone out on tours and you're with, you know, the cast and the crew or touring the country. You're playing, you know, 15 to 20,000 people every night screaming audiences and it's a bit eggy for me to say because the stigma behind depression first and foremost is still there 
uh, but it is very, very much a real thing. But then you throw in the showbiz factor too, and a lot of people don't understand understand that even more because they think, oh, well, you just love people screaming and hollering for you. It's not that at all. It's not yes, that. I, I enjoy to go out and to see the public and to perform live in front of people because mm. they've supported us for the, you know these X number of years. Yeah. But it's the, that adrenaline rush. Yeah. It is what you don't get on a daily basis is what your body physically, it's a chemical. Adrenaline is, an, a, again, we go into happy hormones. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a It's a chemical which you be, can become addicted to. Mm. Um, and then when you're taken out of that environment, your body is just wants that. Mm. You know, and I think it, it it does lead to some very dark and some very sad times. And so I, I get it 100%. And I just, I haven't found there isn't a secret to my success with that by any means, because I still suffer with it. Yeah, I think we all do in, in a way. I think we all chase that adrenaline and then we all have to deal with the aftermath. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, we're all bonkers, I think. Did you, <laughs> I know, totally we are, we are. Did you have... Um, Obviously, it was a massive deal. You skating with with H, who is the most adorable person. I absolutely adore. <laughs> yeah. He's both. a little stuffed animal. He's just He's great. Just like... But did was it tough? Did you did you suffer? Um, uh, you know, did you get trolled? Did you get? Was it hard, or did you just blank it out and you just went full steam ahead and were ready? Everything everything in life happens for a reason. Um, I am the number one believer in that. And if we Rewind just one year previous, Gemma Collins, who I skated with. Um, very, very popular. You know, people more so love to laugh at her than than laugh with her. Um, and she, that is her brand. And she embraces that. And she yeah. understands that. But the trolling that I got off of Gemma Collins was unprecedented. It was just, really? I didn't realize how mean people are and can be. Wow. And this is a, this is a physical aspect because it's you know nine times out of ten the the negative comments um, are are about her weight as opposed to you know her attitude or you know yeah. this this persona she puts on that she's this diva and this that and the other which yeah that is uh, she makes a lot of money off being a diva but in in real life she's not by any means she's an extremely caring and, and wonderful person mm. um, but then going into a, uh, Ian and H. I was prepared for the worst because this was, again, the first time that it, this had ever been done. I think I received maybe four comments over the course of the four months that we skated together. Wow. There were 13 complaints to Ofcom, um, which, you know, when our viewing figures are, I think it was six or seven million. It was, I mean, that's yeah, nothing. nothing. And I just yeah. went... There is hope in the world. Yes. This is this is the right thing to be doing. Yeah. And I was I was really proud of the network. Um, it was a no brainer decision for me when they called me last September to you know to to be a part of you know this. Yeah. Um, and I had been chosen by the head of ITV um, to to sort of you know to to, to take this on, and I. I I was a bit nervous because of what I had experienced off of Gemma. With Gemma, but at the, yeah. Yeah, but at the same token, too, I just knew that this was for the greater good and it, this should, it is normal. Yeah, yeah, you know? it's good. It's good. I think it was fantastic and uh, about time, really. Mm. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So I ask everybody their highest moment in, you know, what, what's been your 
your kind of highest moment of your career, the one that's meant the most to you? It could be anything. Mm. It could be something small or just, you know, what, what's been your most memorable moment? It keeps changing. I'm sure. I think, which, which, yeah, which I think is a good thing. Mm. Um, you know, it means it means that I'm still progressing, you know, which of course we all try to, uh, but it would have to be this past year, the first episode of Dancing on Ice where H and I uh, skated to High Hopes, um, which before the music started, you know, we had 250 people or so uh, in the audience and the lights came down and, you know, they were, it's kind of that moment before everything starts. Mm. And I, knew I wanted to take that moment in and just be very present in that whole routine. And I had this overwhelming sense of peace and love um, that I had never experienced before. And I later said to Ian that night um, that if that's what heaven is, that's where I want to be. Because it was, I felt every single person at home watching all like 13 of you um, <laughs> and everybody, everybody in the, the audience was there for, was there for the hundreds of thousands of people that have been discriminated against, mm. you know, well, I shouldn't say hundreds, millions of, mm. of LGBTQ plus within the community that have been hated on, that have been, that have died, that have given their life, that have taken their life. I felt at that moment, it, it I, it, I, I assumed there was going to be a lot of pressure, but I didn't feel anything but love. And that, yeah, that will be really hard to top, I think. That's but that amazing. was that was my moment. Yeah, that is amazing. And you're you're such a great advocate. You do a lot of charity work. You use your platform. You use your voice. I try and it's, to do, it's yeah. so good. It's so, you know, it's hats off to you. It's brilliant. Um, oh, you. So on the other end of the spectrum, have you had any a dark time, a lowest moment, a a time that stands out? Um, yeah, that was uh, 2000 and, oh gosh, my kid, <laughs> oh my. everything just like <laughs> rolls into, into one. one. <laughs> so we'll, I'll, we'll put it this way. It was the, yeah, somewhere in the 2000s, um, <laughs> Dancing on Ice, uh, they, they had pulled the plug on it. Um, so it was series nine after we did the Champion of Champions. Um, and then that was it. And at that point I had spent... I had committed to the UK. Um, I was in a relationship with somebody at that point. Um, and my visa, I had paid a lot of money for. Uh, so I still had two years left on that visa thinking like this is, you know, the way that it's going to be. And within the, the course of just a couple of weeks, they canceled the show. Um, my visa ended up falling through because of there's something that I unfortunately did wrong on my paperwork. So I lost all of that money and then my relationship ended. Oh my goodness. And I was sat at my flat up in uh, West Hampstead and I just, I didn't know what I was going to do. I really, I I had fully committed, like I had gotten rid of my place in LA and you know, my friends and family have always been there, but it was, you know, hey, I'm going to commit now to, mm. to living here. Like I've, yeah. I've moved here and I've, I have a career here and I couldn't I couldn't get a gig. You know, I think a lot of the other production companies, but a lot of the other networks had said, well, he's too Dancing on Ice. And yes, Dancing on Ice is finished and kind of made me feel like I had already washed up. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a really dark place. Right. And I went to see, I went to therapy and I got put on, um, antidepressants, which then made me a little bit more crazy. Yeah. Um, 
so I took I had I was taken off of those because um, I was I was starting to have suicidal thoughts of I just wow. don't want to be here anymore and I don't want to do this. Um, but again, therapy is incredible. I absolutely uh, embrace therapy wholeheartedly. Mm. But it uh, yeah, that was a it was a really dark point. And then thankfully, you know, the sun the sun started to shine again. And you know who actually helped me a lot was Camilla Dolorup from Strictly, wow. whom her career has paralleled mine quite, quite a lot of resemblance. Um, and she, you know, she's, she hasn't been on um, strictly for quite a few years now and she is in Los Angeles and she's a life coach and does a lot of spiritual sort of things, um, which a lot of it I don't understand, but <laughs> that doesn't mean that it doesn't work because yeah. it did work on me. I actually, I flew back to LA and I had quite a few sessions with her. And I remember this, a moment of leaving one of the sessions when I walked out the front door and the sun just looked different to me. And I went, I'm going to get through this. This is actually going to be okay. And then, I mean, literally a couple of weeks later, I got the phone call that Dancing and Ice was coming back again after right. I had just moved from London all the way back to LA, spent all this money again. And I'm like, you know, I'm just, I'm not made to be rich. Like, uh, <laughs> it's like I am not made to have money in the bank. Oh, it's but so it's tough, good. isn't it? It's so hard. It does change so dramatically, so quickly. It does. You can never predict it. I mean, I, obviously we're in lockdown at the moment, but is, is, there, is there things like penciled in for you? Is there, what's coming next? Um, yeah, I mean, we're that hoping we know to come, <laughs> yeah, that we know of. I mean, it, literally it changes by the day. Yeah, it does. Um, we're, you know, fingers crossed dancing and ice is coming back this, mm. you know, the, this next season, um, from what I know and from like what John Berman has talked about that we are, you know, hopefully full steam ahead. They are planning for it to happen. Um, so that would, you know, be the winter time again. Yeah. Um, and I know that all of the all of the networks within TV were starting to see, you know, kind of like bubbles popping again of, of okay, well, this production's coming back and this mm. is coming back. And what's been really nice is the networks as a whole have all come together and set their own sort of regulations um, because the government isn't doing much for the, no. the arts and the entertainment industry. So it's really good to see all of these exec producers and production companies coming together and... Mm defining the rules and what needs to happen so things are going to be different within the show you know if it does come back um but at the end of the day it, it is such a feel-good show for that those horrible months in winter oh when, it's brilliant it's and it's just like, the glamour of it you just want a bit of glamour when it's all miserable and it's lovely well I, I i'm a big fan i love it i love it uh just i have to talk about blades of glory i was just reading up on you the other, the other night and i was like <laughs> i i love that film so much and now i'm gonna have to go back and find you in it because i mean i just love it i i, I mean how is that so that was yeah it was this is before dancing on ice and oh. it was um I love that film. It was one of those things that, again, you're at the right place at the right time. And I got a phone call from a choreographer, uh, Emmy award-winning choreographer in, in America who I had never worked with before. And she had said, hey, you know, I know you're in town or I've heard through the grapevine that you're in town. Would you come like read for this part? And the scene that I was in, I actually had lines with Will Ferrell. And I oh. played I played a character in an ice show, um, which happened to be literally a tree um <laughs> i love that <laughs> i had i mean i'm six i'm six feet tall right and th this tree was like i think it the top of it was like nine or ten feet <laughs> and it, my face was sticking out <laughs> and 
So I had, anyway, I, I landed that audition, got the job. <clears throat> we shot for two and a half weeks. It was such an incredible experience. Will Ferrell oh. is one of the best, most professional people I've ever met. I think he's brilliant. Um, yeah. And uh, then the, there was other bits and pieces within, within the film. But then at that point, when the release came out um, and I went to go see it, I'm in you see me kind of from a distance and then there's a point when will walks in backstage of the arena and like all the headshots of all the stars are on this board and my headshot is there <laughs> um but my my lines got cut or that oh. scene got cut but it was uh yeah it was <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving because i still two or three times a year get a nice little residual check lovely it, so. well there you go happy days yeah. happy yeah. days i love that well, I can't let Matt go without asking him my final question that I ask to all of my special guests. If you could look back onto your 20-year-old self and give yourself a piece of advice that you've been given or you would give yourself, what would it be of how to keep calm and carry on? Yeah. Um, ooh, 20 was a tough year because I was going through, you know, leaving the sport. My mom had passed away from cancer just a couple of years before that. Um, I was... I was heading towards a very lost space of my mm. life. Um, and I think if I could give myself any advice, it is just that, just keep calm and carry on, keep your head down. Yeah. Um, and never take no for an answer, first and foremost, especially if you are listening and you work, you want to work and you're, or you are working in the industry. Just don't take no. There's always a way. And for me, especially now, segueing my career, you know, I'm not going to be able to skate forever. Um, and getting more into exact producing and writing, writing for television and things like that is just, and that was, I think the secret to my success in LA too, is I knocked on every single person's door. Mm. I called every single person that I knew and asked for a job. I was humble. And I said, Hey, I need help. I want a job. And this is what I can offer you, you know, and, and looking back on that now, I didn't know what I was doing. I just was that mentality of just make it happen. Yeah. You know, and if you've ever read The Secret, I, I read that at 20, 22 years old. Mm. And it's so true. Still to this day, I went on a date um, last night and I said to the guy, um, I was like, I will see you at the tube stop at 6.43 p.m. And he went, wow, specific, a bit weird. <laughs> and I was like, no, just trust me. And sure enough, I walked out of the tube at 6.43 and it's like you you can create those things, you can create those moments, you can create your career mm. if you keep your mind to it. And you're going to hit road bumps and you're going to stall out, but that doesn't mean you have to give up. That's amazing. Oh, what a perfect way to finish. Matt, it's been a joy to speak to you. Thank you Likewise. so much for sharing. And oh, you're more than welcome. Congrats on your second series. Oh, thank you. And uh, you, you've got your own podcast out, haven't you, as well? I do. You've been You've been doing yours. Yeah. So, it's called The Truth, The Gay Truth, and Nothing But The Truth. It's Love a it. safe space for all walks of life, all sexualities. You just come and have a good time. We, yeah, I'm going to start recording the second series um, in a month now. So Amazing. It's, um, it's out there. But yeah, it's, it's a good old time. Oh, brilliant. Well, all the best. Oh, I miss your face. I can't wait to actually um, give you a hug. I know, I know. <laughs> we will soon. We'll be at some, another opening night somewhere. We will. Yes. All right, send in lots of love. Thank you. Ooh, you're welcome. Well, that's it for another episode. Wow, they go so fast. All I have to do now is thank lovely Matt for coming on the show and sharing your stories. 
Of course, my gorgeous producer, Martin, who hasn't had the easiest of weeks this week, so thank you for putting this together for me. And, of course, you, the listeners. I hope you've had a wonderful week. I hope you have a fantastic new year. Tune in to see Matt on Dancing on Ice, and I will see you next week with another corker of a special guest. Have a wonderful week and Happy New Year! 